Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Joining me for the conversation this week, as always, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, thank you for dropping by on this Friday morning. Welcome back and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you as always. And, you know, um, end of the year, so it's getting really busy and frantic and uh, a lot going on. Hard to believe we've reached this point, though here we are. And I know heading into this week, Shane, there was a lot of anticipation over the APEC summit. This was held in the Bay Area out in California. We did see that President Biden, as well as President Jinping of China, they met face-to-face along with other officials and discussed a range of issues in an effort to improve relations between the U.S. and China. This topic you and I have covered here on the podcast a lot throughout the course of 2023. So, I'm curious as to what you took away from this key summit, and do you think progress has actually been made on mending relations between the U.S. and China? I was going into this summit with low expectations. You know, over the past year, um, you know, relationships uh, has has been, you know, pretty close to an all-time low between the U.S. and China. And it's been a year since uh, President Biden and President Xi have actually met in person. So, um, you know, I think the low expectations were met. So it is a net positive, you know, from these simple things like um, keeping uh, the lines of communications open. Um, you know, you may remember that we've talked about this previously where, you know, after former Speaker Pelosi, when she was then Speaker, went to uh, Taiwan, that caused a reaction by China to simply not answer uh, the phone. And, you know, that is very dangerous for our military leaders just to not be able to communicate and avert any misunderstanding and, um, you know, mishaps. So uh, that is, I think, the first, you know, takeaway is that um, this small feat was accomplished. And so it's a positive. Um, and then, you know, other things where uh, President Xi um, acknowledged uh, that he should probably send uh, China would send pandas back to the United States and, you know, he, he didn't, he says he didn't realize, you know, how, how, um, attached Americans, particularly children were to, um, the panda bears. So, you know, very simple things, but, um, you know, meaningful steps on um, kind of the more meaningful thing maybe to, to, um, uh, us. In, is a couple things. One, you know, uh, President Xi agreed to help curb the production of illicit fentanyl, which is, you know, a, a deadly component of drugs being sold in the, in the U.S., which approximately caused, you know, 100,000 deaths this past year. So that is a, uh, um, a step. We'll see if China follows through. You know, we've seen China before make promises that they haven't followed through on. I, I think this I'm hopeful that this will be one that they, they do um, follow through on, which will save countless lives. You know, I think um, the rest of the meeting could probably be described as as expected, where, you know, hot button issues were brought up, no real resolution. But it, it's very clear that, you know, um, there is a better line of communication in place. And this was a much friendlier dialogue than we've seen recently. 
Some positive takeaways, of course, a lot of work still to be done, though. Thank you, Shane, for providing your take on uh, what the summit produced in the way of U.S.-China relations, perhaps those showing some signs of improvement, even the little things perhaps going a long way. I do want to move over to the East Coast and check in on Washington. I know congressional lawmakers this week in Washington were able to come together to avoid a shutdown of the U.S. government. Of course, we've been speaking about this a lot since September, late August. How did the deal come together in this case? And what comes next as we look ahead into the early days and months of 2024? Yeah, this is um, a positive development, I think, for Washington for a variety of reasons. But, you know, they were first and foremost able to avoid a shutdown. You know, if Congress did not act by today, uh, tomorrow a shutdown would have uh, started. And so what they did is, uh, on a bipartisan uh, basis in both the House and Senate, they passed this, uh, two-tiered approach that was devised by, uh, Speaker Johnson and supported by most, but not all Republicans in the House. Uh, Democrats don't love it, but they see it as a, you know, uh, positive development, uh, versus, uh, um, a shutdown. Uh, what it essentially does is, breaks the 12 individual bills that fund government operations into two tiers. The first tier would be a a number of them that are extended uh, their funding through January 19th. And then the the second uh, tranche um, has their funding through February 2nd. And the the goal of the tiered approach is to abide time so that they can focus on some of these individual bills in the uh, interim and you know, get them done in regular order. You know, we, we've been in this situation where, you know, in the past 20 years, we, uh, Congress has not done this, uh, task of passing these 12 indi- individual bills, uh, to fund government operations and instead passed, you know, kind of, uh, one or maybe two large omnibus all-encompassing, uh, spending bills, which has frustrated, um, a number of people on both sides. Um, but particularly Republicans who are really trying to narrow in and, and focus on, you know, specific areas of fun, uh, funding and try and get concessions and rein in certain programs. So they're hopeful that this, uh, approach will work. I think the other benefit to this is that, you know, in the previous years, um, this has gone down to the wire, you know, uh, right up until almost Christmas. So getting this done now allows some breathing room that Congress may be able to address some other issues uh, before the end of the year. You know, things like aid to Israel, maybe aid to Ukraine, uh, po- potentially a limited tax bill. You, you get the idea. So this frees them up to, one, negotiate on the spending issue uh, before it comes due in January uh, and February. And and two, to actually try and uh, address some other issues, you know, that uh, need attention. Well, Shane, it does sound like in this circumstance, some encouraging takeaways that a deal was reached, and it also allows lawmakers an opportunity to take a step back and, as you put it, have some breathing room as we head into the new year. So positive takeaways there. Before we close out, I do want to revisit the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. We've been covering this a lot over the past month. 
Uh, this week, we did see the U.N. Security Council calling for humanitarian pauses in Gaza as the ground operations continue. So where does the White House, Shane, stand on this? Yeah, so I think there's an important distinction to make here. The U.N. UN Security Council on Wednesday passed a resolution calling for the release of the hostages held by um, Hamas and for an urgent humanitarian pause. Um, and a pause is very different from a ceasefire. A pause would essentially be, you know, stopping um, uh, military activities to try and get humanitarian aid to those who need it. A ceasefire would is different, which the United States government opposed. Now, I should also say that the U.S. actually abstained from this vote in uh, the UN Security Council on this uh, pause. Uh, Russia did as well, as well, and the UK too. Um, you know, I, the opposition to a ceasefire um, has been pretty um, steady from the Biden administration. Um, you know, I think uh, President Biden and many others in, in the Democratic Party, as well as uh, almost uh, all in the Republican Party, view a ceasefire as an opportunity for Hamas to, you know, prepare for their next uh, offensive and, you know, uh, fortify uh, their defensive uh, positions for uh, um, the Israeli defense forces and would not actually be productive. Uh, a ceasefire, in their view, would really just benefit Hamas and not, you know, uh, probably lead to the release of any of the hostages. So, you know, I think there is an important distinction between what the U.N. did on a, a pause and a ceasefire. But I'll also note that what the U.N. did um, is just a resolution. It does not have, you know, any true force. It does not force anything. But I do think it's important and noteworthy uh, to note where the international community stands. Um, and right now it does not stand for a ceasefire. It stands for you know, uh, pauses uh, when appropriate for humanitarian relief. Well, that's very important clarity, Shane. So thank you for outlining that for us. And of course, we will continue our coverage on this. Shane, thank you for dropping by as always for keeping our listeners informed on a wide range of issues and developments across the globe, as well as here at home. And I will say as a programming note, we will be skipping next week's episode in acknowledgement of the Thanksgiving holiday. So Shane, do wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Dan. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving too, as well as all of our listeners. And and uh, hopefully uh, the uh, turkey coma only lasts a little <laughs> bit so we can catch up soon afterwards. Absolutely. That sounds good, Shane. Thanks again. We've been joined today by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our listeners, as well as our clients of UBS, you can now locate the latest Washington Weekly publication available for you up on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. Again, that's UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.